Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast, episode number six. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes for today's episode at bloggingbistro.com. Today I'm going off book, and I'm inserting a special edition that I felt compelled to record this morning. With the worldwide focus on COVID-19, I want to address three ways that those of us who own writing-related businesses can act like grown-ups during the pandemic. Because frankly, a lot of people are not acting like adults. And case in point, during the last few days, I've heard COVID-19 referred to as the Chinese virus, the Kung flu, and the beer flu. And whether these people think that they're being funny or sarcastic or they're politicizing the word to further fuel the panic that billions of people are already feeling, they're using the name of the disease incorrectly. As writers, I strongly believe that we bear a responsibility for correctly using the word in our written and oral communications. So I'm going to give you a little tutorial on this right now and The tutorial will also be in the show notes at bloggingbistro.com, so feel free to go there and copy and paste this information and use it to your heart's content. So let's talk about the official name of the disease. It's COVID-19, C-O-V-I-D-19. That name was coined February 11th, 2020 by the World Health Organization, otherwise known as the WHO or the WHO. You've probably seen that in a lot of the news articles COVID-19, as you, I'm sure, have heard, is a highly infectious respiratory disease that's caused by a new or novel, which means new, coronavirus. So you'll often hear it referred to as the novel coronavirus. It doesn't have anything to do with fiction novels. It <laughs> refers to novel in terms of the word new. Novel is not part of the name. They're just kind of using that as an adjective to describe that it's a brand new virus that just got coined. The disease was discovered in China in December of 2019. There are actually many types of human coronaviruses and the acronym COVID-19 refers to uh, the first part of the acronym, the CO refers to corona, the VI refers to virus, and the D refers to disease, and 19 refers to the year that the virus was discovered in China. So you put all that together, C-O-V-I-D hyphen 19, and you get coronavirus disease 19 or COVID-19. When we write about this particular virus, we should refer to it as COVID hyphen 19. So COVID all capital letters because it's an acronym. It's also commonly referred to as coronavirus disease. Note there is no capitalization or hyphenation in those two words. Coronavirus is all one word, all lowercase. It's not a proper noun. Disease is another word, also all lowercase. So if you refer to coronavirus disease, write out two words, coronavirus, disease, all lowercase. The next pair of words that I want to talk about here for a couple of minutes is the difference between epidemic and pandemic. The difference is in the scale of the biological outbreak. So when referring to a biological outbreak, 
An epidemic disease occurs at the level of a region or a community. A pandemic, on the other hand, is an epidemic that spread over a large area. And the word pandemic is usually reserved for diseases that have spread across continents or the entire world. And that's why what they used to, a few weeks ago, call the coronavirus epidemic, they're now calling the coronavirus pandemic because it has spread across the entire world. Now here's something interesting that I discovered as I was looking up the origins of the word epidemic and pandemic. The demic part, D-E-M-I-C, part of both epidemic and pandemic, so the end of the word, comes from the Greek word demos, or demos, I'm not quite sure how that's pronounced, but it means people of a district. This root also ultimately gives English the word democracy, which I thought was interesting. Then we have the prefixes. In epidemic, the prefix epi, E-P-I, that's Greek, and it means on, upon, near, or at. So you combine epi, on, with demic, which means people of a district. So it is on a district, a disease on a district. When you look at the term pandemic, the Greek prefix pan, P-A-N, means all. So you combine pan with demic and you get all people of a district. The second way that writers can act like grown-ups is to quell the panic. Many of us are at home. We've got only our thoughts and our other family members and various forms of media to entertain us. And our thoughts can be a very dangerous thing. From July through November of last year, I took a break from personal social media consumption, which was one of the best things I have ever done. I still managed my clients' accounts and my business account, but I stayed away from the personal news feeds on all the social media channels where I had previously been active. Then in February of this year, when news about COVID-19 started spreading, I found myself checking my Facebook feed more and more often. I read every article in my local newspapers about the virus but the more often I looked at social media and news media, the more anxious and scared and worried I felt. It almost became an obsession. It was like it sucked me in with these increasingly gloomy scenarios every single day. So I had to take a step back and reevaluate. And I asked myself, does my consumption of vast amounts of news and speculation and finger pointing over whose fault the virus is and whether Costco's going to have toilet paper back in stock or will the stock market continue to crash? Is all of this stuff impacting my life in any way but a negative one? And my answer was no. The only way it's been impacting my life is in a negative way that causes me a lot of angst. The more news and the more social media I consume, the more anxious I feel. So I intentionally decided to limit my news intake. And I am really sorry. I'm speaking here to those of you who are journalists and editors and in the newspaper publishing business, if my choice is helping to put my local newspapers out of business. I'm a big supporter of the free press and of independent journalism. In fact, that's what I was trained to do in college. I was trained as a journalist. The other day, I received a plea from our daily newspaper, please subscribe. All our advertisers are pulling out and our newspaper is going to dissolve if you don't subscribe. I get that. And it makes me sad. 
But on the other hand, because every non-essential business in my state is currently shut down, the only thing the newspaper has to write about is the coronavirus. And they've even stopped writing about all the usual murder and mayhem and replaced all that with all coronavirus all the time. As much as I would love to support local independent journalism, my own mental health is more important to me. Instead of obsessively ingesting the daily news, I am weaning myself slowly away from it by skimming the headlines and reading only a couple of articles per day. I do feel like I need to be responsible and keep up with what's going on in the world, but I don't need to read it obsessively all day long. I've also begun listening to BBC news as opposed to U.S. news stations and U.S. news channels because, frankly, the BBC reporting is so much more in-depth. It's so much more thoughtful. It is so much more balanced than the overhyped, politicized commentaries that masquerade as news here in the United States. I have taken a giant step away from social media. I'm limiting my time there to managing my clients' accounts and checking in with the Professional Writer Podcast Community Facebook group. I'm replacing that ulcer-inducing time that I spent doing media or consuming media with long walks around my neighborhood. And I am so fortunate to live in a beautiful pastoral rural neighborhood where when I get about a mile away from my house, I can wave at all the horses and cows and goats and llamas as I stroll by. And this one house I walk by, this little farmhouse, there's this fat bulldog who sits in the front yard right by the fence and he always has a tennis ball in his mouth and when I walk by he gives me the eyes you know those soulful eyes that bulldogs have it's like please play with me <laughs> and I just love it and it just reduces my stress to go on those long walks I'm also hacking away at the weeds in my garden we have plenty of those because the weather has just warmed up enough that things are starting to bloom and blossom. And of course, the weeds are really blooming and blossoming. Today, my husband and I went to the plant nursery, which amazingly was still open. And we bought three new rose bushes. And so we're going to be planting roses. And then inside the house, I am, I'm not a cook and I'm not much of a hobbyist, but I will admit that I'm even trying out a few new recipes in my Instant Pot. I love the Instant Pot. I cook just about everything in it, and it has saved my cooking life. Let's just say that. So rather than feeding this panic that can so quickly grow in my own mind, I'm taking steps to quell it. Because I realize this, I can only encourage others not to panic if I have my own panic under control. Isn't that true? If you're feeling panic, how are you going to encourage other people not to panic? You have to have your own panic under control. I'm actively watching and learning from others for setting really good examples of being positive and encouraging. One of my writer friends started a campaign last week to write and mail encouraging letters to five people per day. Now, I'm not talking about email here. I'm talking about snail mail, postal mail. And I received one of her letters the other day, and I was so delighted. In fact, it's sitting here right next to me on my desk, and I look at it all the time because my friend is very artistic. On the envelope, she put my name in calligraphy with these really brightly colored markers, 
and she knew the way to my heart. She put three different literary stamps on the envelope and then a really nice note inside. And it just warms my heart every day when I look at that note that was so simple for her to do and yet it means so much to me and has encouraged me so much. Another thing that I'm doing is listening to positive and encouraging podcasts. There's a podcaster named Brooke Castillo and she's host of a podcast called the Life Coach School podcast. Last week she interrupted her regular weekly schedule with a daily series of practical and encouraging messages where she's essentially coaching her listeners on strategies for handling the chaos and quelling the panic. And one thing that she suggested, well, many things, but this thing in particular that she suggested struck a chord with me. She said, focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Make a list of the things that you're grateful for. So I started thinking about that this morning, and I'm recording this on Sunday. I attended my church service via live streaming. And one of the pastors commented that they checked the YouTube viewer statistics from last week's service, which was also live streamed. And significantly more people watched the live stream than normally attend services in person. Huh. Two weeks ago, who would have thunk that millions of people would be attending virtual church? We may not have in-person church for a while, but we do have virtual church. And live stream church is one significant way that people are helping to quell panic and offer peace and hope. Which brings me to the third thing that writers can do to act like grown-ups during this pandemic, and that is evaluate our business plan. You may be scratching your head going, what? (laughs) Laura, what does evaluating my business plan have to do with acting like an adult? Well, let me tell you, and you might not like hearing this. You may turn off the podcast when I say this and never come back again. And I'm okay with that. I'm just saying. What does evaluating your business plan have to do with acting like an adult? Because most writers I know do not have a business plan or a business model or a business anything. I can't tell you how many writers have come to me asking for help in growing their readership or expanding their platform or building their brand or whatever you want to call it. So I ask them a few questions. I say, okay, great, happy to help. What's your long-term and short-term goals for your writing? What are you currently doing to get your writing into the hands of your readers? Look at me with a blank expression most of the time. And they shrug their shoulders and they respond with something like, Oh, I just write as the Lord leads me. I don't really care about who my readers are. God will get my writing into the hands of the people who need it. Ah, this is not adult thinking. It's talking out of both sides of your mouth. It's saying, no one's reading my writing, but I want readers. I want my writing to be widely read, but I'm not willing to figure out who those readers are or what strategies I can develop to find my readers and get their eyeballs on my writing. It's playing the God card as an excuse for you to avoid doing the hard work. Okay, I told you you probably wouldn't want to hear that. But boy, I really get up on my soapbox about this one. Because here's what I believe. Yes, I believe that God can and does inspire a lot of the writing that we do. In fact, all of the writing that we do for those of us who are writing from a Christian worldview. I believe that if God inspires your writing 
and gives you the words to share with a broken and hurting world that God will also equip you to get your writing into the hands of the people who most need to hear it. And that means doing grown-up work. That starts with working up a long-term vision for your writing, along with setting concrete yearly and quarterly and weekly and daily goals. It doesn't have to be a full-blown, detailed, 50-page business plan. It should be simple. It should be doable. And if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have a business plan. How do I do that? I can help you create one. What I recommend that you do for starters is to join the Professional Writer Podcast Community Facebook group. Ask questions there. Get feedback from other people in the group. Or you can visit my website, bloggingbistro.com, and email me from there and say, Laura, I need help putting together a business plan. And we'll talk. But you have to do the grown-up work. As you create or evaluate your business plan, ask yourself what obstacles you're currently facing during this pandemic right now. So for example, maybe you or somebody in your household lost your job. I know somebody in my household just lost their job and it's tough. Maybe you lost a boatload of clients. Maybe you lost all your clients. Maybe your school age or your adult children are now home full-time and you're juggling parenting and homeschooling and writing or trying to find time to write. Maybe you or a loved one is battling illness, whether that's the coronavirus or an illness that's completely unrelated to the coronavirus. So After you list the obstacles that you're currently facing, then list obstacles that you anticipate facing in the next week's or months, particularly if this pandemic continues and continues and continues. And you're going to have to do some guesswork here because this is new for all of us. We don't know what to expect. But list the obstacles you're currently facing and then list obstacles that you anticipate facing in the next weeks or months. This is not fun work. It is not. But it's essential work in that listing these things removes a lot of their emotional power over you and allows you to assess them more objectively. And then in light of your current and your anticipated obstacles, ask yourself, okay, what strategies can I put in place to counter these obstacles? What strategies can I put in place to improve my processes, to strengthen my writing-related business? In my own business, one obstacle that I anticipate facing is the strong possibility that the month-to-month contract work that I do on behalf of several brick-and-mortar clients may come to a screeching halt as they furlough their staff and temporarily shut their doors. And with so many millions of people out of work in the United States and no clue as to how long this pandemic will last, most of us are being extremely frugal with our finances. I know I am. We're cutting way back on the products and services and programs that we're investing in. We're carefully counting every penny and making sure we have enough to pay the rent and buy the food. I'm preparing for a possible downtick in the amount of people who purchase my higher priced services. And at the same time, interestingly enough, I'm seeing an uptick in the amount of quick chats and lower priced coaching and consultations that people are scheduling with me virtually on Zoom. I'm also asking myself what business-related services I already have in place that I can continue doing during the coming months, even if my income tanks or dries up completely. 
Okay, here's three things I thought of that I can continue doing. I can continue podcasting. I have all the equipment. It's paid for. I can talk. <laughs> I have my health. I can write. I can outline episodes. I'm doing it. This week, I have several interviews lined up. I will be interviewing guests, and hopefully, as soon as next week, if the technology cooperates with me with the way I'm hoping it will, I will begin publishing episodes that feature guests. And so I'll alternate back and forth. Some of my episodes will be solo with me hosting and others I will have guests on. So that'll be fun. That'll be a change and something new. That's one thing I can continue doing, podcasting. A second thing I can continue doing, I can continue blogging. I've been blogging since 2004. And let's just say the amount of content I built up over X amount of years of blogging, I could probably blog forever just by reusing posts that I've already published, just by updating them and, and repurposing them. I also have a list that's like several miles long of potential topics that I still would love to write about. So yes, I can continue blogging. I will continue blogging. The third thing that I can continue doing, even if my income tanks, is I can continue planning the West Coast Christian Writers online conference. We had an in-person conference, West Coast Christian Writers did, right at the end of February. It was like days before the pandemic hit the United States. So we got in just under the wire with that in-person conference. However, about six months ago, the board of West Coast Christian Writers decided that we would also like to offer an online conference. It's not a repeat of our in-person conference. It has some of the same faculty, but all the work, most of the workshops are going to be different than what was at our in-person conference this year. And we're going to be doing that in October. And so we've been planning that for months. This is not a conference that started off as an in-person conference and we're now scrambling to adapt it to an online version. No, we started planning this specifically as a virtual online conference. And I happen to be the director of that conference, so I kind of know what's going on behind the scenes with it. I am so excited to be offering this. It'll be happening in early October, so we still have a ways to go with the planning and getting everything ready to go. But I can continue planning the West Coast Christian Writers Online Conference. If you're interested in learning more about the conference, in fact, registration is open now, and it's a very affordable price. We intentionally kept the price extremely affordable. You can learn more about the conference and some of the faculty that will be teaching at the conference at westcoastchristianwriters.com. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So those are three things that I can continue doing, even if my income tanks. As writers, we can use this time to learn in new ways. If you typically get your news from a local radio station or local television network or, heaven forbid, Twitter, try listening to BBC Radio for a change. That's what I've been doing, and let me tell you, it is so refreshing to do that, to just get a different worldview, a different perspective. Same goes with the type of reading that you do. If you typically read books written, say, from a Christian worldview, try reading some books that are on the New York Times bestseller list instead. Or vice versa, if you typically read books that are on the New York Times bestseller list, read some books that are written from a Christian worldview or another worldview, something that's different from your worldview. Use this time to improve a writing-related skill that you need a little bit of extra time to work on. So let's say, for example, that you want to improve your dialogue writing skills. Here's what I recommend doing. 
pick out a classic novel that's on your must-read list or one that maybe you read years ago and you want to go back and reread it, type out several pages of dialogue directly from the novel, or you could handwrite it if you prefer. Writing out the dialogue word for word is going to give you an amazing feel for the structure and the tone and the cadence of the dialogue. Plus, you're going to be learning from a master of the craft if you choose a classic novel. Use what may right now feel like a forced sabbatical of unknown length as a precious gift of time for learning and for growing mentally, physically, and spiritually stronger. I told you that one of the ways that I'm seeking to reduce my anxiety is to limit my print and broadcast and social media intake. Well, I'm replacing that with listening to words that bring me comfort and hope. And today the timing was perfect. I received a devotional in my email inbox from Scripture Union. I subscribe to their daily devotionals. And today's devotional was on Psalm 46. And after reading through that the first time, I'm like, I'm keeping this and I am going to read this psalm daily. Here's how the psalm starts out. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Those words from the psalmist have encouraged billions of people in crisis for centuries. I'm going to allow them to wash over me and encourage me too. And I hope they'll do the same for you. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Professional Writer Podcast. Next week, we will return to our regularly scheduled show. I invite you to subscribe to the show at bloggingbistro.com so you'll get email notifications of each new episode. And I also invite you to join the Professional Writer Podcast community on Facebook. That's a place where you can share your thoughts about what's going on in your life right now. Thoughts about how writers can quell the panic in ourselves and in our readers. How we can counter childish reactions and childish thinking with rational adult thinking. And how we can offer support and encouragement to those in our sphere of influence. I'll talk with you again next week.